The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Professor Joel Kim. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the first, first portion of chapter, verse 6. Your faculty will be going through 2 Corinthians with you this semester, and I get the privilege of leading off this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the first half. Hear now the word of the Lord. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. So for the reading of his word, let's turn to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Thank you, O Lord, for our lives and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for setting us apart for your kingdom work, O Lord, to serve your people and your church. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity for us to gather here as students to study and to grow and to mature before you. We ask that by your spirit, O Lord, will disciple us and teach us this morning through your word. May all that we do and desire and seek to do bring glory and honor to you. We thank you and pray this in your son's name. Amen. Most are aware of the kind of disunity that was taking place in the church in Corinth. And this disunity that dominates this letter involves a number of different elements. There's the element of power and wealth, its location, and its proximity to a port meant that this Roman colony inevitably attracted traders, freed slaves, entrepreneurs, and sailors. It was a place where one can make a fortune. It's also a place where somebody and becoming somebody was your goal. You may be aware of the Roman patronage system, the godfather makeup of the first century, where who you know was much more important than what you do, provided a way to scramble up the letter on this social scale. Powerful patrons, benefactors, provided their clients with money, contacts, and inclusion. And of course, the recipients were expected to be loyal to their benefactors, promote their reputation for honor and generosity, and play this endless game of carefully calibrated self-promotion. According to Ben Witherington, in writing about this uh, city, Corinth became a magnet for the socially ambitious, for status-hungry people. You can recognize how this might affect the church. The social pressures were immense. For the immature Corinthian believers, where Paul had spent much of his time, these pressures were still shaping them instead of the transformative power of the gospel. The concerned apostle addresses the abuses at the Lord's table, a notorious case of immorality, public litigation among believers, uncertainties about the place of marriage, and the propriety of eating foods offered to the idols. A church full of people who are hungry to impress others and climb a little higher up on the scales of social approval will not be a church characterized by deep spiritual maturity and unity. Like a tree that looks good on the outside but rotting on the inside, only to be discovered when the wind blows, the church in Corinth looked good on the outside but was rotting internally. 
This affected even the way Corinthians viewed leadership and life before God. As you saw in 1 Corinthians, some followed Apollos, who seemed to represent the ideals of the time, eloquence and wisdom. Some chose Cephas for his experience. After all, he knew the Lord. But Paul, what does he have to offer, really, to the Corinthians? They seem to have been unimpressed with Paul's lack of eloquent wisdom, and his appearance of weakness and meekness before them was unattractive to many who were looking for suave individuals to lead their church. It's at this point that in 2 Corinthians, in chapters 3, 4, and 5, Paul has the unenviable situation of defending his apostleship as well as leadership. And I'm going to cheat today in saying that although we read one verse, the best that I can do for you this morning is to provide some impressions of Paul's understanding of his role as it relates to his role of leading the church in Corinth in particular, where perhaps I'm not overly summarizing when I say, Paul wants us to walk away reading 2 Corinthians in understanding our role as ministers of Christ by reminding ourselves it's not about you. It's not about us. Whether we admit it or not, we believe that everything is about us. We believe that uh, it's about us because we think too much of ourselves. I mean partly that we think too highly of ourselves, perhaps the result of our self-esteem generation, where we easily say things like, I deserve this, which is often on the lips of even those who are believers. But I don't just mean that we think too highly of ourselves, but even more problematic for many of us, we think of ourselves too much, as C.S. Lewis once said. Paul observed that many in the church had seared consciences, according to 1 Timothy 4.2, unable to have proper proportion and perspective of ourselves, myself included. When my son started playing soccer, which some of you might have heard about in class, I remember one of the first games where he scored two goals. He was very proud of himself. He was about four. I don't think he was even speaking English normally at that point in time, but after he got off the pitch, he walked over to me, and the first thing he said to me was, Daddy, I awesome. Daddy, I awesome. He had an evaluation of self that was incredible, but he didn't stop there. He turned and said, Daddy, those guys, no good. That was his conclusion that he was better than anyone else. This is cute for a three or four-year-old, not so cute for those of us who are entering ministry. Brothers and sisters, we make it about us when we believe who we know is more important and significant than to whom we belong, while daily ministering to the lost, the broken, and the needy leaves us feeling insufficiently connected. We believe that, that kind words after our sermons validate us as fine preachers, while silence after our messages drive us to self-pity. We believe that the number of people in the pews is an indication of our gifts and abilities, while departure of members is seen as a rejection of our ministry. We believe that calendar full of programs and speaking engagements indicate our fruitfulness, while relative anonymity and lack of attention indicate our failures. Oftentimes, as seminarians and seminary teachers, we, we mix up giftedness with godliness, and we hide behind our giftedness and think that's sufficient for us before God. But Paul emphatically wants us to know 
that it's not about us. As verse 5 says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. For it's not about Paul. He is unable to claim anything as coming from us. This is simply because he understood that by himself he is insufficient and inadequate. The apostle who referred to himself as a persecutor, blasphemer, and the foremost sinner knew that his life and ministry were not the result of his own doing. He understood his own brokenness, emptiness, and poverty. Let's be honest, brothers and sisters. We have no power to impart grace. We lack eloquence to change hearts, even the best of us. We are unable to provide genuine comfort those who are needy and hurting. Even our best, our very best, is not good enough. Moreover, you and I recognize that we are sinful. We are, after all, dead men preaching to other dead men and women. We battle every single day with our own sins and sinfulness. We often follow in Moses' steps as he yelled at the people of God and struck the rock in his rage. We are susceptible to lust like David, who could not pull his eyes away from another man's wife. We are open to fear like men like Peter, who deny the Lord who saved to save his own skin. These are sins that daily I wrestle with, and my guess, you do too. And oftentimes, we don't have to look further than the news surrounding us, whether secular or not, to recognize that sinfulness prevails, and sin does not skip seminarians, pastors, and seminary teachers. It's pervasive. And this is where we come to recognize that we cannot, and Paul understood this intimately. This is where we need to hear the great words of Charles Spurgeon, for our Baptist brothers here in particular, where he said, be content to be nothing, for that is what you are. He's always a feel-gooder, isn't he, right? (laughs) Be content to be nothing, for that's what you are. Because, brothers, it's not about us. And I need you to hear me. As Paul says this repeatedly throughout 2 Corinthians, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about you. At the end, it's all about God. Left to our own uh, sensibilities and our abilities, we cannot help but to echo the question of Paul too in 2 Corinthians 2.16 when he says, Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? His answer, our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. That is, it's not about us, but it's all about God. As 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6 say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What we proclaim is not about ourselves, but Christ. Knowing our inadequacy And insufficiency allows us to see and experience God's own sufficiency and adequacy. 
God, who graciously called us in Christ Jesus, also promises to equip us properly for ministry. God, who showered us with grace in Christ, also empowers us to preach that grace without fear or compromise, especially in this generation where oftentimes the winds against us are much stronger than winds for us. God, who by his spirit comforts us, also gives us words of comfort to our people who are broken and needy. God, who loved us by sending his own son, motivates us by his spirit to love sacrificially and self-forgetfully. God, who suffered on our behalf so that we might live, gives us the strength to suffer for righteousness' sake without thinking twice or even looking back. God, who by grace led us to Christ, also promises to sustain us to the end. As 1 Corinthians says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're faithful? No, according to Paul, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because, friends, our ministry competence is not about us, but it's about God. It's not that we are gifted, but God is generous. It's not that we are competent, but that God is faithful to us. It's not that we are able to overcome, but God is with us and for us. It's not man-made, but ultimately God-made when it comes to our ministry. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have these treasures in jars of clay. That's who you and I are. Jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If the world sees us and what they remember is us, then we have failed in our attempt to showcase God, for we are mere signposts. Signposts can be ugly. The letters can be worn. The colors may be unattractive. But the signpost's most important thing is that it has the ability to point correctly. If the signpost is in error, pointing in the wrong direction, perhaps even to itself, then it hasn't done its role. But you and I are mere signposts. It doesn't matter how ugly we are, as Paul seemed to have been. It doesn't matter how ineloquent we are, as Paul seems to have been. It doesn't matter how unimpressive one is, as Paul seems to have been. But if he's pointing in the right direction, that's a task that you and I have been given, and by God, that we can faithfully carry out by the strength and wisdom he provides. For we are jars of clay, and we're jars of clay so that the surpassing power the power to save does not belong to us, but to God. Friends, throughout the messages that are proclaimed from the podium here by your own faculty, I pray that you'll remember that it's not about you, that it's not about us, but it's all about God. Now, may I give you one small pointer here, perhaps even a plug for Wednesday prayer meetings? It's often easy to identify pastors who not only preach this, but truly believe this. It's pastors who pray. 
The reason is that they recognize that they, on their own strength and power, could carry on the tasks that are surpassing their abilities. That they lean upon God's grace to sustain and support. They trust in God's promises to continue to go before them and with them, because apart from God's presence, we cannot. We might say it's all about God. But by our prayerlessness, we declare it's all about me and my own abilities. Brothers and sisters, I hope and pray as one brother to another, as a teacher to students, that you will be both a witness and proof of God in Christ's sufficiency in ministry. That we lean on no one else, not even ourselves. But at the end, we lean upon graces, upon the grace of God and his able hands for our successes and ministries, successes that bring glory and honor to the Lord. Let's pray. We pray that, O oh Lord, you'll remind us as our great teacher that daily it's not about us, it's about you. Help us to not promote ourselves, not place ourselves before the world for adulation and accolades, but that, O oh Lord, our lips and our actions will sing only your praises, that our boasts will echo the boast of the Paul, uh, Apostle Paul in boasting in you and you alone. Make us weak, O oh Lord, so that your strength may be seen. Make us humble, O Lord, so that we may not hide your glory. Make us dependent, O Lord, despite what the world might say, so that you may shine in our lives in the things that we proclaim and the way we conduct ourselves to those who need to hear your gospel daily. We thank you for this time and the reminder of who we are and who you are. We ask that by your grace you sustain us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.